Hey, welcome to Minor Details. I'm Nick. And I'm James. And this is the Industrial Design Podcast by us. Or, <laughs> or one of them. I need a tagline. I've been trying to think of a tagline, but I, I don't know. Yeah, all you know, of them do, has... Do you have a tagline for this podcast, James? Uh, my tagline is, uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> um, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, we talk about design and life and what we're up to. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you guys haven't yet, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts. You can always check out our uh, photos and things on minordetailspodcast.com. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we we are still working through some technical details um, on the audio situation from last week. Last week, James and I had a share of Mike, um, which, you know... <laughs> James I miss those days. <laughs> um, but this week, we James was smart and he said, well, why don't we just record on two separate computers? So, uh, I, well, yeah, I, I felt like an idiot when he said that cause we could have done that last time too. Well, you, you, you found out like we didn't know you found something out about the mic situation. Yeah. You know, maybe this rolls into our, uh, weekly updates, but you know, I have this, you know, I was researching the microphone situation cause I had moved my PC to my studio and I only had a MacBook, and apparently Mac OS cannot recognize two of the exact same microphones. At once. And why is that? Uh, because when you plug in the microphones to two separate USB ports, the Mac OS only reads the serial number. Mm. So if you have an exact same serial number. Um, and I, I imagine that more expensive microphones have different serial numbers, but I just bought cheap mics. And so they have the exact same serial number from like, you know, you know, some Chinese manufacturer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's this weird like tech thing that I couldn't fix. I don't know. It sounds like there are some Steve Job openings <laughs> to figure this out. Oh, Miss Steve, <sighs> don't we all? Man, yeah. I am just. You, I, you were telling Nick, me about how you were a little upset about well something, and I get upset. I probably you know, I probably get upset about things that other people think are maybe ridiculous, and that's well, probably why I'm a designer. Exactly. Um. But one thing is, I don't know how your uh, charging cords hold up. Okay. But mine don't hold up so well. On the MacBook. Yes. Right. And I don't feel like I'm abusive towards them. <laughs> um, but Do you see mine right now, James? It has ele- oh, electrical no. tape all over it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I feel like it's so curious to me how much time that apple spends on the laptop hardware and it just doesn't seem like they've evolved at all in terms of the charging hardware. we're, we're regressing in the charging hardware because they took away the magsafe i that's that's absurd to me you, we both still have mac well first of all i have a 2009 macbook mm, not a pro yeah. not a pro not a air the macbook the white unibody plastic one. Oh man <laughs> it's a beauty oh I still love the uh, like the f- one of those the color MacBooks, the the you know when they came out with the colorful iMacs, yeah, they, they came out with the colorful iBooks. Okay, oh, those are so good. They had a built-in handle, <laughs> a pill-shaped I try, I handle. I'm trying to remember what those look like. I can't they, remember. It was, I'm trying. It's it was kind of trapezoidal okay. when you looked at it from the top, kind of trapezoidal, but you know with rounded corners. Yeah. Um. And then it, it came in like orange and blue, I think, and maybe gray. Okay, um, was the was the pop of color right on them? Oh, it was so good. I love that one. Just but, like candy. Yeah. 
I think Balenciaga is going to come out with a with a new version of it. Actually, oh <laughs> dad shoes. Yes, but um, but yeah, I mean, I was just looking at my cord today, and it's awfully discolored, um, in in certain areas. Like the whole the cord management isn't quite as good as it seems to be. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. The cord kind of looks like if you had left out some. Uh, spaghetti overnight and right. kind of drop like a piece dropped down on the floor and you picked it up and it's kind of like still a little soft a little soggy but it, <laughs> it kind of conformed to its wrinkles you know yeah it's gross and the other thing that I was noticing today is that the you know the um, the what is it what would you call that what do you call that the power bank yeah the, the power brick the power brick mm-hmm. the bank I go I go to the I go to the power bank okay I go to the brick house yeah <laughs> The power brick is is always on the floor, and so it's it's getting scratched up and beat up. But there's no like if you know we have these metal devices, they would patina, they, mm. they would do something. But it's just plastic doesn't. It's patina. just a big plastic part. I was thinking about something today, and I think it's too late to enter it into the MakerBot competition. But I might I might make it and throw it up on the Thingiverse. Okay. Um, but I was thinking about making uh making the power brick into a little car to have it have have it be on wheels <laughs> Wheel, wheels that on on both sides would would be uh active okay you know so it wouldn't matter wh- how you would set it down i kind of like the idea of just changing the power brick into something more i don't know thoughtful no power car a power car brick car um, no not thought I, I mean i like your idea james mm-hmm. Because you're taking Nick, I don't think you're listening. To I, me. I wasn't saying that your idea isn't thoughtful. I'm saying I'm saying I like imagine that you are the brick. <laughs> I'm saying imagine the brick as a toy car. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I think that you know we have all these sort of uh, these cords that are cased in like woven materials now that I, I will that say like Native Union comes out with you know. Apple did use a corded or a uh, woven material on their uh, HomePod. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've seen that yet or not. I have not, but it's really nice. Just you know, the material, the material selection on that was beautiful. Yeah, it just it feels like that's that's where the charging cords should go. Right, that, I don't know why they haven't evolved since <laughs> since the first like iPhone, since the first MacBook. They're working on it, James. Who? <laughs> I don't know, Johnny. Come John, on, Johnny, come on. Gotta, Johnny, come on. You're out. slacking. Um, but uh, yeah, well, that was our quick little tech tech beef. Apple rant, yeah. Um, I don't know. Are you up to anything interesting these days, James? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm going to be doing... Well, it's up in the air right now when I'm going to be doing it. I, I need to figure it out when I'm going to do my live show. Uh, my oh, my yes. weekly uh, late Jite James late <laughs> wait what uh, I so I missed it I was traveling last week but apparently well I tuned in for like five seconds but yeah thanks a lot you have <laughs> <laughs> you have started your own sketch live stream just like I have late night Nick you have late what was it well <laughs> you're coming the, up with a name yeah it's working, coming up with work, a name work in progress uh you know. I, maybe giant. maybe something like like let the James begin. Ooh, okay. Uh, but that, I don't know about that. Well, you're not playing a game. You're just sketching. Yeah, I'm not playing any games here. This um, is not a game. Design is not a game, Nick. I like to play. I like to think of it as a game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it would be a good way for me to talk about some of my different sketching techniques okay. that we talk about on the on the podcast. Yeah. Ways of of uh, sort of breaking out of, you know, the the normal sketching techniques that, that everybody learns and, yeah. you know, ways of getting through sketcher's block. And it actually, it actually fits in nicely to uh, another piece of news, which is uh, my collab with Reed Schlegel. The, that's right, the master, yeah. the king. <laughs> <laughs> so he and I are doing um, uh, a project with MakerBot. And what we're going to be doing... I saw so- your little video with the boop. The finger yeah. boot. Huh? If you haven't if you haven't checked out James's finger boot video, go check it out. <laughs> I draw on receipts. Yeah. Oh, reposted it too. Reposted Reach, it as well. Read Schlegel. Yeah, most people probably saw uh, that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Including foreign diplomats. Uh, but uh, but here's here's uh, so so here's the idea is that um, Reed recently did this uh, this thing with MakerBot where he designed all these uh, sort of uh, bio-influenced planters, right. mm-hmm. planters that, that resembled sort of they look like coral bar- barnacles. And, yeah, they all fit together nicely. Yeah. So, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to design uh, some watering cans. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I just want to say this one thing. Um, we I tested out a vase. My friend tested out a vase mm-hmm. that I gave to her, and it doesn't hold water. I see. So just a quick note. I mean, you might have to do some sort of secondary application. Maybe it's like wax sealing or some sort of in, inner uh, sealing. Oh, I see. But, 3D printed planter? Yep. Well, nice. it was a vase. It was I, 3D oh, vase. A vase. A vase. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're going to be doing that. And what we're going to be doing is actually going through something that we learned in school, which were these form families. Right. I saw those form families. They're yeah. Just, so there's like sketching forms, right? Yeah. So it's sketching forms. It's just a, a different way of thinking about generating form. And it was taught to us by um, this guy, Joe Ballet, who um, I, I think he founded Maya Studios and he uh, also teaches sometimes or, oh, or okay. taught at Carnegie Mellon. Oh. But he came and taught while we were at Virginia Tech and he had developed these form families. And then another professor, Mitzi Vernon, kind of expanded upon that um, and started teaching teaching every class after that, the form families. But and, basically, and these form families are just, from, from the video I watched, mm-hmm. you have kind of these four... I guess genres of shapes. You have the flow form, the cylinder form, the blocks, mm-hmm. and then there's something else. I think there's so there's tecto. There's the tecto forms, which are basically like I like to think of them as like low poly forms. Okay. You know, oh, like aggressive forms. Yeah, or like or Lamborghini. Like like uh, not necessarily aggressive, but they are angular. Angular. Yes. Yes, they're angular. They're. It's almost like if you went back to the first. 3d games right like the like that like sort cr- of crash tessellation bandicoot. like crash bandicoot yeah yeah the, those sort of tessellated forms did you, did you ever play crash bandicoot i was not a playstation oh, guy well, i had an n64 okay so i'm gonna have to leave right now <laughs> <laughs> well the the reason i say crash bandicoot is the character this was a playstation game the character was actually inspired by the limitations of the console right there was only so many polygons that oh. you could create a character out of interesting and so crash bandicoot looks like a triangle because he can only have a limited number of polygons that's but, yeah huh. quick i didn't side know note. that that's yeah. cool yeah. but um 
Yeah, I mean, you can you can make tessellated forms and have those be your final forms, but it's also tecto forms are also like a good way of of just kind of like when you're first starting to to explore form, to explore it in that very planar way mm. is just it's a good way of sort of mapping out right. forms in in a simpler way than to try and go right into sort of like what it's exactly going to look like. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with really complex forms. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Um, so uh, are you gonna, we don't want to talk about all four of them or you want to keep, we don't, us, we don't keep have a little to, surprise for the... Yeah, we don't have... I think that's going to be this week is we're going to be using tecto forms to, Oh, okay. So you're going to do like each each family every week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be the, the way that we're going to tackle it. Uh, so yeah, tune in. Stay tuned. I'm uh, excited. Collaboration. I'm excited because I don't know anything about this. These form families. Yeah, I'm excited to learn. It's a really interesting concept because basically what it was meant to do was to create a common language between designers. Yeah. About form. Okay. Because there's, I I don't know that there really is one. Like we all we all kind of have our own way of talking about the forms that we're creating, right? But there's no there's no necessarily like common language other than the language that we probably learn from like CAD, right? You know, we're oh, we talking about, talk fillets, about fillets and chamfers right. and and things like that. But there's no I don't know that there's a way to talk about gross forms yeah. necessarily other than like fast or <laughs> you know like using these emotional words, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about this collaboration and that's cool. And yeah, stay tuned. Awesome. Uh, what about you, Nick? What have I been up to? Yeah, well, I, I've been on a retreat. Yeah, I saw that. that yeah, looked, that looked great. Um, yeah, last week I was in Kentucky visiting some family uh, on the farm, kind of like a guys' weekend, hanging out, mm. riding horses, chainsaws, <laughs> shoot, shooting shotguns, riding horses and chainsaws yeah, all at once. That's adventurous. <laughs> um. And then I also took a chance to visit Cleveland Institute of Art. I think I mentioned that CIA last podcast, right? CIA. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty cool. I I hadn't been to their, uh, I guess, school before. And it's one building. It's like in this like old train. I think it was a train station. No, it was a Ford, a Ford uh, Model T factory. I believe. Wow, that's really cool. So that was pretty cool, and a lot of cool students there, talented kids. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I've been on a little hiatus. Haven't been, was haven't it been refreshing? Doing much. It was. I I feel a little bit more invigorated because you know before I went, I was doing the whole studio switch over, and I was traveling, and now I'm kind of back, and I'm I feel refreshed and ready to go. Sweet. So yeah, well that, let's that, let's go, Nick. Let's go, James. <laughs> so uh, a little bit of uh, we're gonna get into some design news. Design news. So, um, we need, we're still working on that. We yeah. Need some, we're, we're working on it. We're working with the guy. So, so recently, um, in the news was the Southwest, um, flight that right. went down. And my understanding of the flight is that the in there was some sort of malfunction with the engine. It, I guess, exploded to some capacity and mm-hmm. some of the shrapnel hit the window yeah. Broke, broke the window and released the pressurization in the cabin. Yeah, and unfortunately, a, a woman died as a result. Of, she was sitting right next to the window okay. when it when it opened up, when okay. it broke. Did she go out? 
Do she didn't go out, but okay. um, well, we yeah, we, but yeah, that's, anyway, we don't need to talk about those details. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but uh, but there was an interesting article on Core seventy seven um, that that showed a selfie that somebody had taken from the cabin, uh, showing themselves and everybody behind them, right? And and pretty much everybody has their oxygen mask on incorrectly oh so the of course the oxygen mask dropped down from the ceiling right and you're supposed to put them on they they do like you know how everyone how, how when you get on a flight they do the tutorial but yeah. no one ever listens because we don't know that's and that's a huge problem so, so how do they have them on wrong though so they instead of having them over their nose and mouth yes they um they just have it over their mouth because oh. it's circular it's, okay it's a it's a circular object, and I think it just kind of looks like a a big like coffee cup almost. Yeah, but it, the material is thin enough that if you were to to put it over your nose, like it kind of it stretches oh. out to a, to more of a teardrop right. shape. It's like a silicone rubber material. Yeah, I think I think it's just a really yeah, it's it's either flexible or really thin thin plastic. Okay. Um. But um, that's kind of an interesting design problem yeah. because you would, you know, I think about, I think, of course, I'm going to talk about like respirators and uh, face masks and, and things like that, where, you know, the, the mask is already that teardrop shape. So you, it's indicated that it should go over your nose. Right. But these oxygen masks in the Southwest airplane, and I assume most, most probably. Are, they're probably all from the same manufacturer yeah. are just circular. Yeah. It almost seems like a design oversight, would you say? I I would say. I think um yeah, I think I think what you said is right. I think we we are in this unfortunate state that when we get on a flight, like w- nobody's paying attention to the safety briefing because we've all we're we're all sitting there going, "Oh, we've been through this before. <laughs> right. It's never going to happen." On. Right. It's not yeah, nothing bad's going to happen or or just like I know what to do. Right. Okay, I've been right. told enough times. Right. But then when it actually happens, happens nobody remember. Yeah. Like or I mean, I I guess I think they say in in their briefing, you know, they say like over your nose and mouth. But um, but I'd have to check on that. I, I'm not I'm and, not sure if they do. And the thing is, is even if they did say that, I feel like the form factor of the actual oxygen mask still wouldn't you know indicate that to you right like even if someone's like hey put this over your nose and mouth if i see that round opening i'm just i mean it doesn't make sense for me to put it over my nose and my mouth because it wouldn't fit correctly in my mind now like we said it's probably some sort of rubber material and it would actually fit um but yeah i mean i feel like it could easily be fixed if you just had the teardrop instead of the circle shape yeah i i think that that probably makes the most sense um, to do in that in that scenario, but it, it seems like an interesting design challenge. Like, you know, just in terms of like the safety precautions or or the safety measures in general in airplanes. Like, right. if people are in that scenario, like how many people actually execute everything properly? Yeah, I and I almost I almost want to think. I like to imagine. This is what I like to think. Right, I like to think there was some designer that was like, "Hey, you guys." You know, this isn't shaped properly. We should really design this well. And and then there was some bureaucracy behind it of, oh, but we need to make it lighter or it needs to fit on a certain compartment because the plane needs to be as cheap as possible. I'm 
that's why I like to think happened. So, I feel like these. So are, I don't want to blame the designer. But I feel like all the oxygen masks ha- were probably made in like 1970, and none have been made since. That is also another another plausible uh, plausible. Uh, you know, and and I think that there is there is the case with the airline industry that things are the the progress in terms of the airplanes and the airplanes and airplane interiors and probably the safety measures are not updated that quickly. Right. Things are things are used right. for a very long time before anything gets updated. Definitely. Um, but yeah, we thought that was an interesting article. Yeah, I think that's a really good article and a really good point. Um, check it out on Core seventy seven. We'll post we'll post a link. Yeah, written by uh, Rain No. So uh, good on you, good on you, Rain. Make it rain. <laughs> um, so uh, for our major topic this week, Nick. Um, yeah, we we were thinking that we should talk about we should talk about product. We well, yeah, and we sent out a little. Uh, a call to action or i did yeah because we were kind of running out of topics if you guys have a, to- a big topic you want us to cover you know it could be whatever topic you want send it in minor details podcast at gmail.com we're um, not running out of topics nick we just haven't brainstormed in a while right we essentially what we're saying is that we're, we're lazy <laughs> we're lazy <laughs> um but we got a great topic in and i'm excited because this is the topic that no one talks about this is the other half of design yeah we're talking about why or you know once you sketch up a product once you cat it up what about the design after that what about like working with manufacturers what about getting that product on a shelf that's an entire another process of design that yeah you don't ever see yeah and i don't know if we can get to all of it in one podcast uh and we should stretch it out because <laughs> we have no ideas <laughs> left guys we're done <laughs> Um, this but, is a this is a five part podcast, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we do want to thank Mr. Dan Grossman, a mutual acquaintance of ours, for giving us this uh, this prompt. Yeah, um, and uh, I I'm curious, Nick, what was you might have mentioned before, but what was your first product in production? So I believe it was. Well, I know what it was, but I'm not sure if I mentioned or not. So. My first manufactured product, which I feel like is a special moment, right? Uh-huh. It's like this moment of, hey, I'm actually a designer, right? Like, sure, you can call yourself designer if you, like, sketch a thing and then make a thing. But I feel like you're not actually an industrial designer until you've mass-produced a product to some capacity, right? Until you've dealt with the industry. Right, exactly. My first product was this little light. It was for this company called Dublin Dog. Coincidentally, as for a pet company, I've been in the pet industry so long. I just don't know how to get out of it. I just kidding. pets. Pets are good. They pay. They pay the bills. Um, uh, it was a little bite, uh, a light that clips onto your dog's collar, so you can see him at night. Mm. And you could also, I did other attachments too, so you could clip it onto your bike, um, or if you're hiking or whatnot. And I had done it while I was interning at a studio in Charlotte called Inventus. Mm. Um, and I had just sketched it up. So mm-hmm. a year later, the guy was like, Hey, here's the final product. So all I did was I sketched it and then I saw the final thing, which were, uh, very far apart. I, I mean, maybe not very far, but they were definitely diverging mm-hmm. a good bit. Um, and my, my sketch, I had kind of this triangular light. It, yeah. It almost looked like, 
um, it's like a triangle with its sides kind of curved in. Okay. So like a almost like a three pointed star, I guess. I see. Um, but rounded off, mm-hmm. and then the final light looked a lot more round, and it had it had the three points still, but um, it was a lot thicker than I wanted. I really wanted this thin, sleek, clip-on light. Yeah. Why do you think it was changed? Um, I'm sure it was a lot of manufacturing things. Yeah. I know one thing was that it needed to be super durable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know the plastic had to be really thick. And they also had like two or three battery button batteries stacked up in there. Yeah. So it just like grew and had to kind of bulge out, I think. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting topic in itself is design intent and execution. Yeah. Because because oftentimes I feel like, you know, the magic of a sketch can be lost in the CAD or the 3D. Right. Or, you know, reasons beyond your control can affect the way that, that it ends up looking. Yeah, I always imagine, you know what I always think of? I always think of those beautiful concept sketches of cars right you know you know any car designer they can do well not all cars all cars all car designers aren't you know amazing but you know the amazing ones <laughs> the amazing ones you're like dang that's a sexy car right there yeah and then you see the you know the 2018 mustang you're like well it's just another mustang right but the sketch looks so good yeah and what happened you know yeah I don't know. Have you found have you found that with VR sketching, you're able to retain any of those qualities? Like, do you feel like the three D that you produce in VR is inherently like it? It, it keeps that. That's that an quality? interesting question. Yeah i I don't think so because I think the three D environment is more restrictive in that way. Right. Two D, you can you can cheat the perspective, right? Mm-hmm. You can squash the perspective. You can elongate the perspective. You can do things with a sketch that you can't do right. in a 3D space. Right. I think that's where this you know, disconnect from the sketch to the, the actual product happens is in the 3D area. Yeah. Um, I do feel like you can get more emotional design out of VR just because it's more, more intuitive. Right. But it's, you know, I, I've often thought about this, the difference between 2D animated, animated movies versus 3D animated movies. And, and I'm a big 2D animation guy. Okay. And, and because I feel like it retains a level of quality and character that you can't really get out of, yeah, like I a three D animated I can movie, see that, definitely. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember in school that was my biggest frustration was I was always told, <laughs> I was always told by my professors that my sketch was much better than <laughs> than like than what ended the up actual finish. Yeah, thing. that's a tough thing. Have you? Well, here's a question, James. What's your first manufactured product? Well, we talked about it before, and that's, it the, spoons? that's the KitchenAid self-leveling measuring spoons. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was a particularly difficult one because it was... Okay, so, yeah, you're right out of school. You're, you're working on something for production, which I'd never done before. I'm modeling it. I'm modeling the final CAD. Okay. Like this is not just I'm handing it over to somebody else. Right, like right. I am taking this through the entire process. <laughs> and it's very intimidating. Not only that, but like I'm also expected to make it reflect the KitchenAid brand, right? Which is another hurdle in itself is like how do I how do I put a brand 
and uh, you know the brand language the form language of the brand into this product you know that's that's new that's that's you know there's nothing right, there's right. nothing that i can really look towards except for design cues from the brand and and i was really new at it and and i it was just like i it probably took me i feel like it took me like a month to do just the cad right because you know not only that but i had to like it you know all of the all the cavities you know you're dealing with volumes mm -hmm. so you're having to like if you tweak one thing you have to tweak everything else and then i had to do the quote which quote oh, you had to do a quote you mm -hmm. had to work on the quote yeah i worked on the i did the quote so explain that to me so the quote is basically you're putting together a drawing and a lot of times quotes are pretty general in terms of drawings like okay. it's usually I mean, in terms of my experience, it's right. usually just like um, like the gross dimensions of the product. Really, like a lot of what they're looking for is like, okay, can we make this? Yes. Like how much plastic does it right. take? Like, right. you know, so masses are really important of, uh, you know, of the material. So, um, so basically, yeah, you send off a quote to the factories. Well, but you're not like, when I think of a quote, I think of dollar signs. Like mm. a number like, oh, I'm going to quote you a, a freelance project. Here's how much I can do it for. No, the, but you're saying what you sent off was a some sort of file, maybe yes. like a PDF or like an illustrator, like a document, a visual document that showed, hey, here's the general dimensions of my spoons. Here's how much plastic they used. Exactly. Here's the function. Okay. Exactly. Right. And, and so I, I've done that too. I mean, yeah. everyone calls them different things. I've done like, I call them like tech specs, design specs. Right. Um, design cards yeah where you just like call out like the functions and the whole point of those documents is to tell the factory how to make it and what it's used for right mm -hmm. well i mean in my case it was purely just here's the part here's how it's assembled okay and here are the materials here are the finishes blah 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 right it's, you know it it's color material it's, finish. That's it's important. a somewhat detailed document, but mm -hmm. it's not the level of detail in like a production drawing. And I, I agree. That's exactly how, what I do as well. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're not like calling out the, you know, millimeters down to like the, the hundredth of a millimeter. There's no tolerances involved. We're just designers. We can't engineer products, right. um, but we call out like, Hey, this should be blue Pantone, whatever. Yeah. Or it should be a matte finish similar to like, Hey, I found this cool picture online, yeah. you know, and you'll probably, I mean, you probably send off a rendering as well as like as a step file. So right. a 3d, a 3d CAD file. That's, it's not like your, your feature tree. It's purely just the object. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, the factories quote you, you might go back and forth to figure out how to get the price to where you want it. Um, you know, based on based on what the company is looking to to sell at. You right. Know, have what, you did you have to do any of that with your spoons? Uh, no, I didn't. So you sent that off, and it came back, and you there was good. Yeah, it was good. That's pretty impressive because a lot of time, like in my products. So I mean, here, here. <laughs> well, that's the difference between you and me, Nick. <laughs> you, you get everything the first try. I gotta, like, I gotta. Yeah. You know, sometimes I make some mistakes and I have to fix them. Um, it's okay. Uh. I guess I'm kind of thinking of my mirror. So, yeah. So I produced my bed mirror solo. Um, you know, just went through the entire manufacturing process. Oh, okay. You can do it without a company. All right. <laughs> All right whatever. Um, but I remember, you know, working with, 
you know, going on to Alibaba, you know, giving out my files to, you know, the Alibaba sphere. Mm-hmm. And Alibaba is the manufacturing website in China. So, you know, a bunch of manufacturers said, oh, yeah, we can make that. Um, and, you know, my experience with that, like after designing the actual object was, you know, I sent out, you know, a few you pay you pay some a few manufacturers to send you prototypes yeah and then you review the prototypes and see what you like what you don't like um and you you know you figure out a manufacturer that way and so i selected a manufacturer that i really enjoyed working with and he seemed very responsive that's an important thing i learned is that make sure you have very responsive suppliers and manufacturers right um because if you have a manufacturer that doesn't email you back in like a month it's yeah. gonna be bad news. Yeah, I learned that the hard way. I did that with my bottle opener. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember like, you know, working with them to figure out the exact finish, and you know, they sent me like a book of what they could do, mm. and so like I spec the exact like mirror polish finish that I wanted. Right. Um, yeah, it was a big learning experience. I feel like I still didn't quite get the finish, the mirror polish as mirror as i wanted to because mm. there's just so the way the ben mirror is manufactured you know it's just a flat piece of stainless steel and it's laser cut uh, you can check it out at almost object.com and some guy just hand polished it like just took stainless steel and polished it to a crystal clear mirror finish really uh-huh. so not not an automated process at all no so you could put handmade or uh, like well, not I mean laser cut hand hand polish hand, hand polish right yeah um, but you know it's it's hand polish so there's imperfections in it right and so I don't know I just wanted it to be perfect and it in my opinion it's not perfect of course any normal consumer probably would think it's fine do but, you think it was hand polished because of like how many did you order it, yes that was part of the issue is that if I had got them stamped instead of laser cut they wouldn't they could already use a automated polisher mm. so they would so how how mine were manufactured they took a a rough piece of stainless steel uh-huh. they laser cut it and then in order to get it all the laser cut marks away they polished it and why didn't you do stamping why did you do laser cutting so the stamping method would have started with a full like four by eight sheet of polished stainless steel like from the manufacturer crystal clear not hand polished no imperfections at all um and when you stamp it there wouldn't be any scratches laser cutting adds burn marks but when you stamp something it would be you know it it would perfectly come out and the problem with stamping is that um in order to make the stamping machine like Mm -hmm. in order to have all the tooling and the big steel dies that fit into the stamping machine you know you're looking at you know, thousands of dollars, two thousand, three thousand dollars, just to make just to p- make the machine, just to make the machine that makes the actual object. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a wonderful learning process. Yeah. No, it sounds like it. And and did you do? Because for the spoons, like I had to do inspects on on the different samples that we got. So oh, you had to inspect them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had to inspect the samples. Um, you know, I, I did the production drawings, which is another, like, that was incredibly time-consuming. Wait, so you did the spec and, like, the general, like, hey, this is what it should do, and then you had to actually add in all those tiny little 
measurements to everything. I had to dimension it. Really? Yeah. That's oh, crazy. It was. I don't know that this is typical at all. We, I know, I feel like we've lost half our users. Like, I don't think they've gotten this detailed <laughs> into manufacturing, but that's okay. Maybe we'll. Yeah. So you, so you have to say like, yeah, you basically dimension everything that's worth dimensioning. Cause really, I mean, from, from what I understood, what the dimensioning was, was good for was mainly for us was to check their work oh, was to okay. see. Cause I don't know if they were looking at the, at the drawings or not, they were getting the 3d. Yes. And so they were using that 3d. I mean, what the drawing for them would do was call out like material and finish. Right. But I don't know that they were really looking at the measurements no, necessarily. No. And what we would do was it was basically, it almost seemed like legal in a way, like, like a law, like, you know, sort of like, Hey, we dimensioned it this, yeah. like, take a look at the drawing. Right. So, you know, um, back when there was no CAD, I mean, there there would have been good use for a well-dimensioned drawing. But for us, it was more a reference for, like, did they get the part right? Mm -hmm. So you would literally measure, you know, all of those measurements with, with a pair of calipers. Right. To see, like, did they did they do what we asked them to do? And that's pretty important for measuring spoons, right? Yeah, because it's a measuring device. Well, yeah, and you have to. What we would also have to do was make sure that the volumes were exactly what they needed to be. Mm -hmm. And you know, there was some. Um, oh gosh, what's the word? Um, tolerances. Very tolerances. Yeah, tolerances for volume. So, like, we could accept a certain right. like number above or below the volume that we asked for that spoon. Uh, okay. Um, well, that's way more in depth than uh, what I did in pet products. Like, we we get <laughs> we get a dog toy in, and we're like, yeah, that looks that looks about right. <laughs> maybe maybe size it up a couple inches, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome to the real world, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> no, the dog toy world is so lenient. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, this was, I do feel like in my experience thus far outside of that, this was like a very hyper focused, like process of, you know, hyper vigilant process of did, did the factories get this correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but I, I just remember getting back my first sample and I was just like, I was over the moon. It's crazy, right? It's being able to hold your first product. It's in your hand. wild. Yeah. Like, and what's what's even more crazy is further on down the road, walking through a Target and seeing seeing a stack yes. of your product. You yeah. know, like hanging there. I always love going to PetMate. I mean, uh, PetSmart. PetSmart. I work for PetMate, but uh, whenever I see a PetSmart, I always walk in. And just to like look at the stuff I made. Yeah. Like I'm I don't have any pets. And they're like, sir, would you need help? Do you need help? And I'm like, oh no, I'm just I'm just looking. Uh no, do you need a signature? <laughs> because this is my work. And would you please not stand so close to it? Um uh but uh yeah, the but the other thing that I love is walking through a store and being like, I did that. My friend did that. My friend did that. My friend did that. You know, it's like that's that's pretty cool. It's like, you know, in a, in a certain wall of Target, you know, I know a couple different people. That's pretty impressive. It's like, you know, it, it is a really fun experience. It's like people that I went to school with or people that I worked with. Like, we're all, 
all of our work is hanging. It's like it's like this weird gallery, <laughs> you know, where you can the gallery of consumerism. Yeah, um, because you know we put a, all of us put a lot of work into those things, and they're you know they're just out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. I mean, there's just so much. I feel like there's so much to cover on the other half of this design like product thing, like you know the whole other side of working with manufacturers. But the thing with it is that it's a lot more communication than it is actual technical right. design thing. Right. And that that's why I feel like you don't hear about it or see it. Because, like, what are you supposed to do? Like, yeah. hey, I emailed my supplier today. Well, once you... Yeah, the thing is, like, once you've designed the product, you've only done, what, 20% of the work? Probably, yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh, and that's why I think, like, 3D printing is this... Magical it's, thing? Yeah, it's so magical because... Because I can essentially, like, have an idea, <laughs> model it in CAD, and then print it out and be able to interact with, like, that idea so quickly. Yeah. The exact idea. 3D printing is magic. You know what's magic is when I'm doing my VR sketches and I have a 3D printer going in the background. <laughs> That's magic. I feel like such a, like, I live in the future when I do that. <laughs> Are you are you in the design museum admiring your own work when this happens? No, no. Is no. the is the museum uh, still open? Muse- is, with we, your shoes? Yeah, the shoe museum. If you uh, didn't listen to the last podcast, I had my VR shoe sketches installed into a virtual museum, a virtual space. Um, they're still up there. They had their opening party last week. I was traveling, but. I mean, I think it was good. You could sure have gone. <laughs> you could go from anywhere. Yeah, you could. You can visit this museum from anywhere. But yeah. I just didn't have my headset. You need an Oculus Go. Oh, that was released today. Announced today. Released today. I. It I was think a, it's already been announced. It's announced way back, but I think they just put it up for sale today. Cool. Oh, shout out to Mauricio Romano. Oh man, he's one of my faves. He's awesome. Uh, he designed it or helped. Yeah, I mean it, it's. Do you know much about it? Like, can you, could somebody do the type of sketching on the Oculus Go that they, that you can on yours? No, no. I I think the Oculus Go is much more geared toward the entertainment industry. Right. So you're, you're looking at a lot of VR videos, VR content, animation, experiences, um, things you can just put the headset on and kind of look around and do. do. That's a shame because, uh, you know, I, can I even use an oculus with my mac mm, I, I don't know i don't i i feel like i looked up the specs and i don't think that i can maybe not with that one maybe with the newer one which just is on the long maybe, list maybe of, with an iMac I don't of know. things that i can't use with my mac <laughs> well, like solidworks yeah yeah um although i've been using on shape recently oh how's that? i was t- i was talking to you about this a little bit off the pod uh so it's similar to Fusion in that it's like a, you know, sort of like a browser-based, um, cloud-based, you know, type platform for, right. for 3D right. CAD. But it was founded by the guy who, who founded SolidWorks. And the way that I've been describing it is it's SolidWorks distilled. And mm. it's like, it's... it's Do you kind, like it? I like it a lot, actually. Is it free? It's it's not free. I'm on a free trial right okay. now, but I think it's like 115 a month or something like that. 
I'll have to look into it. It's uh, it's really nice because as somebody who has was trained in SolidWorks, it is the easiest transition okay. ever. Okay. And I can run it on my browser on my Mac. That's and it's awesome. like And it's it's seamless. Okay. I'll have um, to check that out. Definitely. Yeah, and and it's cool. Like it has kind of. Do you know PDM? Have you been exposed to PDM? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, what's that? It's a project management system that uh, I think mostly it, mostly engineers are familiar with it. Okay. But basically what it does is like, I mean, from what I understand, I'm probably going to make a lot of engineers cr- cringe if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> but what it does is it like, you have to check in and check out products in within this database. Oh, so you don't change it while someone else has it open. Yeah, and and so and also all the changes are saved uh, okay. so that you can never like screw something up basically. So there's always the backup. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's that's the appeal that I see in PDM. There might be more functions to it than that, but but um, OnShape has something similar where if you're working on something, you can say new version. Okay. And and you can start to modify, but it'll retain your old version, so you don't have to like save a new copy of it or anything like that. Oh, okay. um, that sounds it, cool. Yeah, I'll but I, I'm I'm kind of a novice at it thus far, but we'll that's put, what we'll, I've been. We'll post a link to it too. That's what I've been doing my MakerBot project on. Oh, is, is with OnShape. Okay. Yeah. Um, well. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like we uh we should answer some questions here. Before yeah, the, we should I, probably answer we, some questions. We should. I kn- I feel like. You know, we joked about it, but I feel like we should definitely talk about the manufacturing process even farther. Oh, maybe another podcast. I don't know. We'll 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 divide it up because it think, actually yeah. is a big topic. Yeah. Um, but for now, let's see if we can get to some questions. Um, this week we had Pascal Mikhailik send in a question, and they said, "Is there a point where a designer should stop improving their design because you would just mess it up instead of making it better?" Ooh, that is a that's a good question and I don't I don't even know if it's answerable because I I mean there's so many times where you're like I could really perfect this project if I just if I just had a few more days <laughs> or like if I just had you know or like you leave a design for a week and you come back to it oh. or you or you send it in yeah. and then a week later you're like oh Yep, yep. That was the right idea. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I the answer is the the real answer is that n- no, you you can't. I mean, the real answer is, is you have to stop, right? You have right. to stop at the deadline and you have to do it, right? Like you can't always improve a right. design. However, okay. However, if we're thinking about the future, so think about UX UI, like. Any sort of website application, constant updates. There's always updates. Right. And the future of design if is. If we think about the future of physical product 3D design. Printing updates. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You could essentially. Jeez, that's amazing. You could essentially continue to modify your design because. I love it. Because, yeah, you could always add updates. Okay. I, I will say this is that, you know, working in the industry. You know, there's some people who think that the manufactured product is this final thing. Right. And it is, to some extent. It's the final version of that thing. Yeah. But let's think about, like, the iPhone. Like, they did the iPhone, the very first iPhone. Yeah. And then they kept improving and kept yeah. improving. And it's okay. Like, 
you have to stop at some point and release it, right? Right. Um, and so if you think about product design in that way, industrial design in that way, then maybe you can relieve some of that stress of net, like you always have to like keep working on design, right? Like just put it out there, get it done. That That's the thing is like the biggest thing that people don't do is they don't, don't get don't, things done. Don't. Yeah. That's the hard, like that's 90% of the work is finishing a thing. Yeah, it's true. And, and the other thing is. I I feel like I've heard a lot of like artists kind of talk about this or people, content creators, whoever, like this idea that you don't like, sometimes you don't know how good or bad the work is until you release it. Yeah. Cause, cause there's this, I mean, if you're kind of siloed and working on your own thing, you might not know if it's good or bad, but like you need somebody to interact with it. You need somebody to engage right. with the object that you've created and you get feedback and you make another one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Life, life moves on. Yeah. In, in the, uh, in like the, uh, the like six Sigma, like lean manufacturing terminology, it's called continuous improvement. Mm. There is this idea <laughs> of continuous improvement. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, there's, I think you can, yeah, you can constantly make, make updates and, and try to make the perfect design. But at some point you have to, you have to release something. Yeah. I, I think it's a gut feeling as well. Like you kind of know when it's finished. Yeah. Like when you have a very finished object, it's, there's something inside you. It's like, oh, this is finished. I'm going to send it out. Yeah. And yeah, a week or two down the road, you can see something you could have improved, but next version, right? Yeah. But yeah, that was a great question. Thanks for sending that in, Pascal. Um, and then our second question comes from Hugo Azuna, and they ask, "Do you think the different branches of design will eventually merge into a multidisciplinary studio, solving pro- design problems, or do you think that it's important to always maintain a clear line that separates each design uh, branch?" Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a broad question. Yeah. But I don't know. How do, how do you interpret that, James? I mean, I think that... I think it depends on the company that you're working at. I mean, there are sort of these multidisciplinary studios, quote-unquote, right? Um, that that do, like, architecture and industrial design or, like, industrial design and graphic design. and, um, But, you know... But there's, there is, I've noticed in these studios, there's, there is a clear delineation of who is the architect and who is the industrial designer or who is the graphic designer and who is the industrial designer. Now, right. That doesn't mean that they can't comment on each other's work right. and help to enrich each other's work. But I do think, I think specialization is important. I, I would agree with you. I think that... You know, I feel like sometimes we do go in this mode of like big IDEO type of design firm where you can have any problem, whether it's business, graphic, you know, product, any problem and just say, hey, IDEO, can you fix this? And they can fix it. But I agree. I feel like maybe that's not the right solution. Yeah. Maybe it's better to have some sort more of a specialized person to fix the problem. I think it's okay if the, yeah, like in an IDEO kind of setting if there are specializations within it. Mm. But but I do think it kind of it kind of muddies the 
Is that is that the right way to say I think it? So. Mu- muddy is the it water. It does feel a little muddy. This whole Mu- question feels a little yeah. muddy. Yeah. Because um I think it just it, it gets really hard to to say like this is what we offer as a studio. Yeah. Like how what is that messaging That's to a- the people looking at your to your studio for work like we do everything that's definitely a good point because i always see you ever see one of those generic like creative agencies and they're like hey we create experiences and i'm like what yeah no yeah no go home yeah go home with the other 300 other agencies that are like doing experiences or right like i want you to tell me exactly what you do like show me something that you specialize in Right. That, that's what I think is exciting about a company. When you have a more of a broad studio that does like all kinds of mix matchy stuff, you know, maybe you don't have this. It's like the jack of all trades, master of master of one kind of or uh, master of none. Well, I mean, that's the show, but <laughs> but I do think, but I do think that that is kind of a, kind of a reality of of our day and age because I feel like oftentimes people are asked to do more than than just like what they've been trained to do or yeah to provide some some other sort of skill but i don't i i feel like specialization it's all about specialization and cooperation yeah you know that's a good point i like that it's uh, a good way to answer that yeah i i just uh i think that as a designer, as an industrial designer, you should focus on industrial design exactly. and being a good industrial designer. Right. And as Paul Rand said, don't try to be a great designer, just try to be a good designer. But what? Yeah. What does that mean? It means like basically get get the basics, the core of it down. I mean, this is how I interpret it at least. Okay. It's like, you know, understand what it is to be the designer that you're trying to you know if you're an industrial designer you need to cross off the basics before you start to try and be this you know this grand master he's he's like just be a good industrial designer don't be a great everything designer is that kind of what you interpret it as that's how i interpret it as i i just interpret it as like don't aspire to be the one that gets recognition for design. Aspire oh, okay. to be that's a good, way good to, designer. That's a good way to interpret it as yeah. well. Um, well, yeah, thanks, Hugo, for saying that. And it made us think a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was an interesting question. Uh, and then we also had a comment, not really a question, but we thought it was funny. So shout out to Ezra Yamaz. They said um, they, they had seen this like meme or something that said, we need to have a podcast together is the millennial way of saying we should start a band. Yeah, it's totally true. And it's actually easier than starting a band. It's way easier. Podcasting is way easier than starting <laughs> a band. It's so easy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, like, yeah, starting a band, like, you need a lot of equipment. With with uh, starting a podcast, you could just use the, the microphone on your laptop. Or on your phone. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to say... I love podcasts, right? Yeah. Do you like podcasts, James? Eh. Do you listen to podcasts? I listen to a few. Okay. Um, well, I so I I follow this designer and like I was like, hey, you should make a podcast, and they gave me all these roundabout excuses why they shouldn't make a podcast. Shouldn't? Yeah. I was I was kind of surprised. I was like, podcasting is really easy. All you have to do is talk into the microphone. And and what were their reasonings? They said that there's too many podcasts out there. Oh. But the the flaw with that is that there's no podcasts in design 
Yeah. So it it, made, it was like, why? Like, there's so much opportunity. Right. Like, there's no industrial design specific podcasts. I mean, yeah. there's Debbie Millman who does design general, and there's 99% Invisible who who do more general design. But right. Like, we focus on industrial design. And yeah. It's two industrial designers talking. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, so... And I was like, I was kind of like bummed. I was like, wow. Right. That's sad. Part of the reason that I don't listen to a lot of podcasts is because I don't... I generally... The the type of podcast that I tune into is very conversational. Right. Like, I like... That's what I like, too. I, I like conversational podcasts where where it can just sort of be in the background and you can tune in and tune out. Okay. Like, or just feel like you're hanging out with mm-hmm. two people. I'm tuning you out right now, James. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, just, man. It was a joke. Killing me. But, uh, but I yeah, I don't generally like the, the more, like, formatted podcasts. There's a point in which a podcast can be too perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. But uh, yeah, thanks thanks for that that good laugh, Ezra. Um, and then we have a shout out of the week. Yeah, you found you found uh, this guy. This guy. Uh, shout out of the week to Little Ness or Lil Ness. Uh, his Instagram handle is at underscore dot lil like little Wayne L I L, and then dot Ness N E S, and then another dot, and then underscore. You know, you know. I, he, okay, well, I'll, I'll just say this. <laughs> Little Ness, he's 10 years old. And yeah. he's a shoe, aspiring shoe designer. Yeah. Um, but I'm just so amazed because he's 10. Yeah. He's sketching shoes, and he wants to be a shoe designer at 10. Yeah. I was, like, picking my nose at 10. <laughs> Heck, I still pick my nose now. <laughs> yes, but then you turn those boogers into amazing products. <laughs> into sculptures. Yeah. And it's disgusting. He's made me watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just, it kind of goes to show you like, what does it go to show you? Well, it shows us that the age we live in is changing, right? Like the, the idea that anyone can get out there and be creative, right? It it's here. It's now we can post on Instagram and millions of people can see it. Yeah. And I don't know. You guys should check out little Ness. Um, we'll link to him cause his Instagram handle is a little, a little tough. But uh, he's cool, and I don't know. I'm excited to see what he does with his life. He yeah. has so many years ahead. Yeah. Oh, during my during my uh, beta live podcast or or live uh, sketch, Instagram sketch live sketching. Yeah. Uh, Lil Ness hit me up and he said, "Did Yo, he tune in? I do. I do product design too. Nice. So he sent me some chairs that were pretty cool. Oh, he sent me those as well. Yeah. So I I love it. I I love. It's it's just kind of like that that raw just like passion yeah and I love it uh, keep going little keep, ness keep keep hustling little ness um, but yeah thanks for tuning in guys mm-hmm. of course you can find all the info photos and things on minordetailspodcast.com. and if you have a question or a topic feel free to email us at minordetailspodcast at gmail and of course you can find me. On Instagram at Nick P Baker, and me on Instagram at I Draw and Receipts, and uh, tune in to James's live stream. I don't know what it is, James. You got to give me a heads up. Uh, I I'll, I'm I'm gonna try. Okay. I'll try. We'll we'll figure it out. But uh, did you mention the Apple Podcast? 
Did you? Oh, yeah. You need to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. You need to. You, you have to. to. Give us five stars. <laughs> but don't don't make it like we said to give us Come five on. Stars. We deserve it, right? right? <laughs> Come on. Um, but thanks for tuning in, guys. Yeah. All right. Peace out. <laughs> Later.